Find with me again in your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2. Just hold your place there for a moment. 1 Peter and chapter 2. As we return this morning to our message series, Living with Hope in a Hostile World, we've been studying the, first of bo- uh, the book of 1 Peter uh, and we'll continue. This will take us a few more months as we embed ourselves, saturate ourselves in the Word of God in 1 Peter as he is helping us know how to live in this changing culture that's growing increasingly more hostile toward Christians every day. Uh, in 1896, a book was published that actually ultimately became uh, one of the best-selling Christian books of all time, still is to this day. Uh, it's called In His Steps, uh, written by a pastor named Charles Sheldon. And, and the book actually originated as a series of sermons from Charles Sheldon, and then he uh, rewrote those sermons, and it was published uh, as serialized in newspapers and print production, one installment at a time, and eventually collected up and published in book form as In His Steps. Now, some of you may have read it. I read it. I hope that you have. If you haven't, and you may not recognize the title, I can guarantee you will recognize the subtitle. And keep in mind, this was written in 1896 originally. The book was entitled In His Steps and subtitled, What Would Jesus Do? Yep, you never know those. Never knew those little bitty bracelets had a book behind them, did you? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because that question is threaded throughout the story, and, and in the book, uh, people encounter uh, other people in need and, and circumstances in which they might apply their Christian faith. Maybe it's uh, someone who is hungry, someone in poverty, uh, someone who is homeless, someone who is sick. Uh, and throughout the book, people are regularly asking and answering, answering that question, what would Jesus do in these social type of situations? And that's how Charles Sheldon meant the book. And in that day and time, very prominent in front of Christianity was what was called the social gospel. That is, how do we address the needs of our world? We're still asking that question all the time. The needs haven't changed much. But you might have asked that question of yourself. When you encounter someone in need, what would Jesus do in this situation? When you uh, have to make a decision in your life, what would Jesus do in this situation? The truth is the Bible asks us that question and answers it for us several times in the New Testament. And we're going to look at one of those times this morning in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start reading in just a minute in verse 21. But what you're going to see is is Peter is not applying that question and its answers to social situations. He's applying it to the Christian suffering in persecution. If Jesus were in your situation suffering as you are, what would Jesus do? How can you follow in the footsteps of Jesus in your persecution and suffering? And all kinds of suffering, but remember, Peter is especially applying the word of God to ridicule and persecution and suffering because you are a Christian. So if you encounter that kind of suffering or any suffering at all, if Jesus were in the same situation, what would Jesus do in that situation? Peter's going to help us out with that. Now, as we step into this, to, uh, 1 Peter this morning, we're going to pick up at verse 21. I want to remind you of where we were two weeks ago uh, before we took a break last week from 1 Peter. 
Remember, he is applying the principle of submission. That is, we submit to God in all of our relationships, even the bad relationships as well as the good relationships. We submit to God in all of our relationships because we have been called by Christ to follow Christ. We've been saved, set free of sin and death and this world. We serve Christ if we're born-again Christians. Uh, so in every circumstance and relationship, we practice that principle of submission. And you'll remember two weeks ago, he was applying it uh, beginning, he started his application with, with household relationships and a particular kind of relationship, that of the household servant or slave. Not much nuance there. As he's telling the servant or the slave that even if they have a kind master or a cruel master, when they submit to that master, they are practicing God's principle of submission. It's really to God that they submit. It's really God that they serve in that household and in that situation. And knowing that, the next thing he says, we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. Remember, in context, he's still addressing the servants and the slaves who have become Christians and followers of Christ in the Roman world. Remember that when we pick up and, say, and read what we're going to read that Peter is saying. So look at this with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 21. Peter's still talking to those Christians who are slaves and servants. He says, for you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Verse 21 is a remarkable statement in the context of speaking to slaves and servants who were Christians. For you have been called to this. For you have been called to this. It would be easy to misunderstand to mean, uh, to think that Peter means you have been called to be a slave or a servant. That's not what he means. What he means is you too are called, as all Christians are, in your status in life, whatever your position in life is, you too are called to this. What? Suffering for Christ. Wherever you are, if you are suffering, especially ridicule, shame, guilt, persecution, or whatever kind of suffering, you are called to this because Christ suffered for you. That's the undergirding fact that Peter presents. The phrase called to this uh, speaks of that salvation event that you were called to follow Christ and you answered that call. The Bible speaks of your salvation, Christians, as in a number of ways and this is one of those ways that when you, you were called by Christ to come and repent of your sins and to follow Christ and if you're saved, you answered that call and that call means your life now belongs to Christ. You answered the call to follow Christ, so now your life belongs to Christ. You are a follower of Christ because you answered his call. So Peter is speaking to all of us that in our status, our situation, whatever that might be in life, some of us may suffer more than others, and some of us may suffer more for Christ 
than others. But still, we are called to this because, he says, Christ suffered for us. But he didn't leave us out in the cold. He didn't leave us wondering how to handle this or what to do or what would Jesus do in our situation. No, Peter says, in fact, he gave us an example. Because he suffered for you, he left you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, the important word there in the phrase is what he means by he left you an example. Now, Peter uses a particular phrase in his world, in the ancient Greek and Roman world, and in the Greek language. It's not just any kind of example. It's a particular kind of example. And it's one that we can relate to, especially if you are old enough in this room that you learned cursive in elementary school. Remember that? So you'll relate to this. The phrase he uses is drawn right out of the schoolhouse and the learning environment in his day and time. It, it was used of students who learned to write letters by etching over letters that were like a template. So, so the teacher, the tutor, would put the, the letters down in front of the student, and the student would learn to write letters by etching over the model, the example, the type they were supposed to follow. And the more they did it, the better they got. Right? So Peter says, Jesus was your example of suffering. And when you suffer, you etch your life into his. This is how you suffer, Peter says. This is the example that he left. It's a template for you to follow. And the more you follow Christ in your suffering, the better you will be at following Christ in your suffering. It doesn't make the suffering easier. Wouldn't you like it if he'd said, hey, just do that and the suffering will go away? That's not what he said. He said, instead, you become more Christ-like. The more you follow his example, the more you etch out around those letters of his example, the more you act like Christ, the more you behave like Christ, the more you suffer like Christ. And then Peter, being one for mixed metaphors, then follows that with a different image, and that of the footsteps. In his steps, what would Jesus do? Well, Peter says, not only has he provided an example for you to follow along, to, to, to etch right into He's put footsteps there for you to follow. The Apostle Paul uses this same image in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that he has put good works in front of us. Those who come to Christ have good works for us to step into them and follow them. It's the image of imprints, footprints that Christ has put out for us and we follow in those footsteps when we follow Christ. Peter says, Jesus hasn't left you alone in your suffering. He's given you an example to follow. He's given you direction. He's given you a way of understanding. And then he begins to unpack that a little bit for us. And that's how we, that helps us ask and answer the question, what would Jesus do? How do we know how to suffer like Christ? What, what should, what, what's our example and how can we apply that here? So for a few minutes, we're going to take what Peter says and we're going to unpack three ways that we can apply Christ's example to our suffering. In particular, if you are suffering because you are a Christian. Uh, these examples, these principles apply to all of us in, in all kinds of suffering and difficulties. But remember that as we, as we live in this increasingly hostile world, as you live in families that are not families that share your faith, workplaces where it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian, Peter says, here's your example. He's called you to this. Suffering is part of your walk with Christ. He's called you to this. 
And here's your example. He left you for how to suffer, how to follow Christ in these difficult times. The first thing, and we see Jesus did this, the first thing is to trust God's judgment. Trust God's judgment. Uh, Peter echoes in, in this whole passage uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 53. It's, it's very appropriate for this conversation because as you'll recall, it's Isaiah's prophecy of Christ as the suffering servant. And while he summarizes it greatly, he also quotes Isaiah 53 in this passage we just read and applies it to the Christian. So Christ has already given you his example of suffering and how to suffer. And the first part of that, Jesus, uh, Peter says, is to trust God's judgment. Now we know that Christ never sinned. The Bible teaches that clearly. That's, he is our sinless Savior. He went to the cross for our sins. As Peter's already said, he bore our sins, your sin, on the cross, not his own. He was a sacrifice on your behalf. But Peter draws out principles from the way Christ handled suffering to remind us, do not sin in your suffering. And he targets some of the temptations for our sins. And he says, just like in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant applied to Christ, pay attention to what he did not do. Uh, first of all, there was no deceit in his mouth. In the midst of suffering, Christ never lied to get himself out of suffering. Never lied. Never said, hey, are you a Christian? Do you believe that? Never said, no, I don't believe that. That's, that's those crazy Christians believe that stuff. The temptation might be there. The temptation to lie. To get yourself out of a bad situation. To lie so you don't have to suffer for Christ. He uh, did not insult anyone. Peter says. He didn't turn it back on them and say, oh, you so-and-sos. I know what you really, you're really like. He didn't threaten anyone. Christ of all people could have threatened and carried through with the threat, whatever it might be. He could have annihilated the sinners if he wanted to. He could have called down fire from heaven. He could have called 10,000 angels to release him from the cross. He could have done any of those things and threatened those who unjustly accused him and made him suffer. But he didn't do that. See, Peter knows us pretty well. God knows us pretty well. He knows the temptation is there to try to get out of that ridicule and out of that suffering. And sometimes we are tempted to sin to do that very thing. Peter himself knew what this was like, didn't he? Remember when he was in the courtyard and Christ said, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And Peter said, no, I won't. I'm right here with you. And the Bible says that when Peter denied Christ, he did it with cursings. Vehemently denying he ever knew that guy. Sitting right there in the courtyard lying. And he fell into sin to save himself. If you're interested, go back and read that story in the Gospel of Luke. Because Luke is the one that records that moment and adds to it that Jesus himself was sitting across the courtyard bound and tied and beaten. And as soon as the rooster crowed, as soon as 
Peter finished his denials, Jesus looked him in the eye. Peter knows what he's talking about. So he also knows that Christ has given us an example. No deceit, no insult, no threats in the face of your suffering. So what's the alternative? Well, he said, here's, here's the alternative. Entrust yourself to the one, that is God the Father, entrust yourself to the one who always judges justly. Know that God is the judge of all people. Know that one day, someday, everyone will stand before God and be judged. And know that, had, that, that should God decide to do so, he will judge people in this life as well. Know that nothing is out of God's eyesight. God sees and knows what people say and do to you. The idea that you have to retaliate comes from the notion that you can't trust God to take care of you. It demonstrates that you don't really trust God to do the right thing. So you're going to do what you have to do, even if it's lying, even if it's deceit, even if it's insults or threats, to get out of that situation so you don't have to suffer for Christ. But Jesus left us that example. Here's where it is. You follow in these footsteps. You etch along these lines. You stay clear to the truth. You let God be God. And you trust God's judgment. Secondly, you trust God's plan. You trust God's plan. Jesus himself died on the cross for us in God's plan. And calling that to mind not only reminds us of Christ's work on the cross, it reminds us of God's greater plan. And sometimes that plan includes suffering for Christ. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now that's a, 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 in the ancient world, the tree was an image of the cross itself, of the place of suffering. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Christ did this for you. He bore your sins to the cross. He suffered for you to be righteous before God. That was God's plan. And, and with Christ, you, you cannot know Christ apart from knowing his suffering for you. You have to admit to it. He died, he suffered, he died on the cross for me. He took my sins to the cross. You have to confess that and you confess that he is alive today and trust him as your savior. But you can't ignore that. And when you, when you confess that, you're confessing also that you are a sinner and you're acknowledging that sometimes suffering for Christ is necessary as well. Because there's no way to know Christ and not know his suffering. It's just a truth. It's a reality. The Jesus we know suffered for us, died for us on the cross. And here's the extraordinary thing. When we stay true to the gospel and true to who Jesus is, and we stay True to God, even in our suffering, God's plan includes that. And don't misunderstand, I don't mean to say he's going to impose suffering on you just to get something done. But when you suffer, when you struggle, when unbelievers ridicule you, when there is heartache and struggle in your life, God can use that in his plan. And often God does put those things in place so he can use you in the bigger picture. You just being faithful to God, you never know what God's going to do. You just never know what he's going to do and how he's going to use that. Your job and my job is to be faithful to him and to trust God's plan in the process. There was an interesting social media exchange, very quick in, 
this past week between some politicians online. Uh, one of those politicians previously served, Lizzie Marlborough, previously served as a Republican in the Ohio government. She was formerly in government, but still known for being a Republican in Ohio. And she posted very simply on social media something to the effect, our only hope is faith in Jesus Christ. And right behind that, Republican Representative uh, Max Miller attacked her. He said that was a bigoted post online, and she needed to take it down immediately. It had nothing to do with religious freedom, and she didn't have the freedom to post something that bigoted, he called it, online. Hmm, Republican to Republican. Listen to this. Left-wing Democrat, radical Muslim Democrat Omar came to her defense and responded to Mr. Miller, you are absolutely wrong. That's the very definition of freedom of religion and freedom of speech. I may not agree with what she believes, but she's simply stating what she believes, and she has the freedom to do that. And she added to Mr. Miller, you should apologize, which he did. What just happened? A Christian, no animosity, not trying to start fights, no hostility, simply stated the truth. The interesting thing about Christians when we are faithful to the gospel in every situation, even when we are pressured, even when we are ridiculed, when we're faithful to the gospel, the interesting thing about it is nobody can ignore Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. Nobody can be neutral about the truth and about Jesus. And when you are faithful to Christ, even in your suffering, even when, we are, when you are ridiculed or persecuted, God will use that in his plan. Remember that God used the suffering of Christ in the bigger plan of the gospel, the greatest plan of all. He can use your suffering and your struggle in his plan as well. So trust God's plan. Trust God's judgment. Trust God's plan. Then last, trust God's care. God's care for you. Trust him that he's there and that he cares for you. Verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray. Now, I want you to pause there for a moment and, and acknowledge it was an ongoing activity. You were running around there like sheep going astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, Peter defines that opening sentence in verse 21, that you were called. And when you were called to Christ, you returned to Christ. You came home to your creator the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The phrase of your souls doesn't refer to just that spiritual part of you that goes to heaven. It refers to the whole person. Body, soul, and spirit. You completely came to Christ, a whole person. And when you did, you returned to the shepherd of your life and the overseer of your life. Just like Christ trusted the Heavenly Father in the midst of His suffering. You can trust God too. You can trust God too. You can trust his care. That is, he is your shepherd. He cares for you. Now, Peter will pick up this theme throughout the rest of the letter because he loves this theme. And I imagine he loves it because he experienced it so much. Jesus Christ is the shepherd of your soul, the shepherd of your life, the, the great and good shepherd. He is God himself. And he will take care of you. 
in your difficult circumstances, your suffering. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And as your shepherd, he is leading you and guiding you through the midst of this valley and this suffering that you are in. He is taking care of you. And when you came back to him, you submitted your life to him. You acknowledge that in faith. When I stand for Christ, when I live for Christ, when I suffer for Christ, God has not left me. My suffering is not because I'm alone. I came home to him and he is shepherding me through this. And I would challenge you every day, believer in Christ, when you get up in the morning and pray, ask God to shepherd you through the day. And and have that image in your mind because shepherds are out in front of the sheep. They don't drive the sheep, they lead the sheep. So your God is right out there in front of you and you're following him through the day. But not only is he your shepherd, he's the overseer of your soul, of your whole person. That term is intentional by Peter. The overseer has authority. Uh, Your God is sovereign over your life. When you came back to him, when you answered that call, he is the caring shepherd, but he's also the authority. He is your Lord over your life. And you must trust him to care for you, to lead you, to be an authority over your life. Because when you push back and say, God, uh, I'm not going to do this. I don't like this at all. You're ignoring that when you answered the call of Christ, you came to your Lord. You came to your God, your creator. You said, I will follow you. And if it means following you through this time of suffering, God, that's what I will do. Because God, I know I'm in your plan. And I trust your plan. I trust you, my shepherd. I trust you, the overseer of my soul. I trust you to take care of me, no matter what I go through. Many times in this series, we've asked another question, and I hope we get it embedded in our minds. What difference does it make that you're a Christian? What difference does it make in the decisions you make, in the way you lead your family, in what you do on the job, and, and in how you handle suffering, ridicule, persecution? What difference does it make that you're a Christian? And when you bump into that, always remember, you answered his call. He is the shepherd and the overseer of your life. And you can trust him. And you can trust his plan. In 2019, uh, country singer Granger Smith and his wife Amber suffered a great tragedy. They were out in the yard. The kids, three kids were playing. And Granger had, was supposed to be looking after the kids at the time. Uh, Amber was not there at the moment. He was out there with the kids. And And the two youngest ones, the three-year-old and the other youngest one, were playing with water pistols. And the three-year-olds ran out of water. And when Granger wasn't looking, that little three-year-old made his way through the fence at the swimming pool to get water from the pool and fell in. Not long after that, when they were at the hospital, they learned he he was gone. He passed away. And Granger and Amber tell the story that they immediately went outside by themselves and they talked about this. And one of the things they said was, we are in this together. We will suffer this loss together. We will stay together through this time. Since 2019 in interviews, Amber's been asked a question. Do you blame him? Do you blame your husband who was not watching your children? He was... He was tasked to watch them, but but it was on his watch that your little three-year-old fell into the pool. And Granger says that she has never once 
in those four years ever said in any way, it's your fault. Never. She's never even brought it up. And when asked that in an interview, she says, why would I say that? And here's her response. She says, we are on, we are on the same journey of grief together. This is our grief together. And we'll walk through this together. By the way, not long ago, they left country music to study for full-time ministry. Because they understand. When they committed to the shepherd of their souls, that he would never leave them or forsake them. That they're on the same journey together because they're followers of Christ. That's what they have in common more than anything else. What difference does it make that you follow Christ? It's knowing he never leaves you or forsakes you. It's knowing that believers make decisions differently. It's knowing that we face suffering, heartache, ridicule, and persecution differently from the rest of the world. We trust God's judgment. We trust his plan no matter what. And we always trust that he cares for us. And maybe you're in this room or at home this morning and you're going through suffering a difficult time. And maybe it is suffering brought on from, by someone else, ridicule, persecution, just difficulties. Maybe it's suffering of another kind. Would you today recommit that to Christ? Would you today say, God, now I understand you can use this in my life and in the life of others. Would you ask God to do that? Would you ask God to, to shepherd you through and at the same time commit yourself to him as he shepherds you through this difficult trial? Would you let Christ be your example? No matter what, you will etch your life by his example and no one else's. Let me pray for us. Father, here in house and at home, God, we go through difficulties, trials, and struggles, and maybe there's one or two in, in this room or at home, Father, that are facing trials brought on by other people, suffering, heartache, ridicule, persecution. It could be at work, at school. It could be in our friend group, God. It could be online. It could be anywhere. God, may we stand faithfully for Christ no matter what. May we do it with love. May we do it with compassion. May we do it with truth. May we stand for Christ because you are the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. You care for us. And whatever we're going through, God, remind us it's in your bigger plan. It's in your bigger plan. So God, for all of us, I pray, Father, we would trust you to take care of the rest. Whatever's going on, God, we trust you to take care of the rest, to deal with the people around us, to handle the heartache. We trust you for that. God, let us faithfully follow Christ. Where you find sin in our lives, God, please forgive us for that. God, where you find weakness, give us strength. Where, you, where we lack confidence, God, give us courage. And God, more than anything, we give you our situation, our suffering, and our heartache. I pray for each person here and at home. If we need to make decisions today, God, I pray that we would faithfully follow Christ. We would deepen our walk with Christ today in those decisions. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we're doubtful. Maybe we're uncertain. God, we want to give that to you today. And I pray for us, Father, that you would show us, you would give us wisdom, you would give us guidance in our circumstances, our relationships, and what we are to do. Father, as we go into a time of response, I pray the Holy Spirit would be at work here and at home, God, that we would faithfully respond to you at the altar or here at the front, that we would step forward in faith to follow Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.